All right, guys, it's Tom with Hidden Beats, and we have Teddy Richards with us. You want to give us a little introduction about yourself? Singer, songwriter, guitarist, RVer, avid golfer, and all around decent guy. Decent guy. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so uh, I have a few talking points for you here. Um, you've had a storied career for the last 30 plus years. Uh, what some people might not know is that you played in the band with Aretha Franklin, who is indeed your mother. Uh, yes, we don't try to exploit that and we don't over uh, overplay it because it gets in the way of who I am and it sort of, uh, you know, obviously it will certainly supernova mm -hmm. most of uh, anything that uh, anybody's doing. So the name of the game is, hey, I'm, I'm honored and it's been a blessing, you know, both of my parents, uh, but the key is to be me. And that's actually what leads into my first question. How is it uh, breaking out with, with your solo career right now? Uh, well, my career has been an interesting career. You know, the last, you know, even during the last 30 years while I was doing the Aretha performances, I've always had my own project. I've always worked long and hard and diligently on my own thing. Um, and it's always been wonderful. It's, it's been another blessing to have that. Um, it sort of keeps me grounded. It allows me to maintain my identity and you never get caught up in just being the son of an icon or something like that. Um, so that's how I've always lived my life. You know, I've always carried my own weight and uh, I've always been very proud of that. No, and that's good. That, that's it's always nice to be able to to say that for yourself. And and obviously, you're, you know, you've been doing this for long enough, and you definitely have earned your own your own space for sure. Oh, well, I'm very happy to have carved out a niche for myself in the industry, and uh, to find that I can sleep easy at night uh, between the performances and productions here in my studio. I write a lot of jingles for different clients. Uh, you know, I'm a multitasking um, person, you know, I, uh, a renaissance man, if you will. Nice. Yes. I, I actually was listening to another podcast you had done. I can't remember. It was like Nashville Guitar Store or something like that. And you were talking about your jingles there, too. And yeah, Mark, uh, the person that owns and runs that thing, he and I are very good friends. Uh, it was because of him that the first things that I ever wrote got recorded. He's from from Lansing, Michigan. And um, he is a gem of a guy. Yeah, Mark is an incredible person. Nice. What, what would you say your, your style is? I mean, my, so I have my team of writers. They help me with pulling up questions. And they described you as a soul artist. But would you say that kind of fits or do you? Not at all. Uh, Not at they, all. Didn't, they didn't do their homework. And let me tell you to tell them they didn't do their homework. I've been a rock guy. Okay. Um, and for your research team, uh, just throw out a couple of names in excess. I wouldn't call that a soul group, would you? No, we've actually done an interview with uh, Andrew Ferris, which is another question that I was going to talk to you about. I have one of my best friends in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, anyhow, what I am is firstly uh, genre defying. Okay. And secondly, I'm extremely eclectic. I'm a, a great music lover of the world. Um, there are so many styles and so many artists 
I mean, from the 30s up until today. And I'm not talking about something that's just R&B. I'm not talking about something that's just jazz, but I'm across the board. So uh, soul music would have been one of my earlier foundations along with pop music, the Guess Who and things like that. Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you're listening to Al Green and then you listen to Hendrix and then you listen to uh, Deep Purple and then you find yourself years down the road, you're listening and deeply into XTC. And then you're also writing and producing and working with Seal. And, you know, so to call me a soul artist would be selling me short. No, that makes sense. And, and you deserve nothing less than than everything you've got for sure oh thanks so i mean going into the andrew ferris uh topic so with, like i said we've done an interview with him previously on his solo music how mm -hmm. how was that experience with you and seems like it was a pretty good one it is still an ongoing wonderful friendship and a lot of the material that we wrote and that we had demos that we did back in the 90s will now see the light of day. A couple of those songs will also be on solitaire now. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And that's been one of the, the great, okay, we're going to call it a love story. And I'm not talking about between Andrew and I, but a love of music between two artists. Uh, and he and I hit it off right away. We became fast friends. We spent a lot of time writing and recording over in England. Uh, at the time, he and his wife and his family lived in uh, Alton, Hampshire, Surrey, which is way out in the countryside. Uh, Jane Ear, uh, her home was like maybe a mile from where we lived. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're into old English literature, but Jane Ear, uh, she lived down the road. Uh, we spent a lot of time putting some, some incredible material together. Uh, it was during that time that I really learn formatively how to write a better song, how to be a better producer, and how to make more sense out of it. Because prior to that, I was just rhyming words. And prior to that, I didn't have any, uh, you know, really understanding of structure. And prior to that, I really wasn't able to record effectively. But working with Andrew uh, was one of the great, if he opened up a school of music, he'd be the king. He would be the king. Yeah. Not to mention, he's just a, a, a real good guy. You know, he's down to earth. He's genuine. He's sincere and obviously talented. You know, he's got a, a great, great talent. You know, he's a good man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, it was fun looking at some of the, the different things I was able to pull up when we interviewed him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of NXS also, so it was interesting to, to get to actually learn a little bit deeper. You know, it's funny you mentioned Andrew and just recently, and this is still every now and then you, you'll hear it on the radio. Uh, there's a, a newer, younger artist, female, uh, do, do, I can't say her name properly. Dua, Dua Lipa. Thank you. Yep. Um, and my wife and I always thought it's kind of humorous and I still want to talk to Andrew and find out what his thoughts are because he's got this wonderful hook that we all know that. You know, that's his hook. Mm -hmm. but they have a song, the Dua Lipa band. They've got a song that mimics that hook a bit. Uh, I, mm, wish yeah. I, I wish I knew the name of the track. I heard it briefly when it was, you know, real present on the radio. Uh, 
and never bothered to uh, to gather the title. But I'd like to talk to Andrew about that and see what's going on in the background with that. Mm -hmm. No, actually, I think I remember that track too. Now that you say that, and I, I didn't put two and two together at the time. So I forget. You know, I can't remember how what her melody is, but uh, phonetically, you know, what she does is that. You know, the the Andrew Ferris signature lick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like like you said, he's got his own storied career of things too. So it's cool to hear those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, uh, I hope that he and I will have an opportunity to work again in the, the relatively near future. You know, uh, at this point, Andrew is uh, embarked on a what would be considered a, con a country career. Musically, uh, mm -hmm. now um, is more akin to country than to uh, what he was doing with NXS. Um, but that doesn't surprise me because he is a great lover of music and a great lover of words and a great lover of putting together and just tune smithing, which yeah. him as well. So it doesn't surprise me that he decided to kind of go that route. The funny thing though was I was trying to talk to him about country music prior to that and he had no interest at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> at that time, I was just starting to discover some of the better, uh, better written country material. Um, this is like late '80s, early '90s. Okay. You know? And I was telling him, I said, "Man, you need to sit down and listen to what these people are saying." And you know, even people like Blake Shelton, uh, who was quite you know much younger at the time, he had a gift for writing a good song and telling a good story mm -hmm. and i would take some of these at the time you could find the stuff on like limewire i don't know if you remember oh Lime. yeah <laughs> you know, yep. so, <laughs> we're halfway on the other side of the world and i'd turn on my limewire and i'm like hey check this out um you know you had limewire and two or three other uh geez what well, you had there was limewire frostwire and there was something else it was another real big one Napster was the biggest Napster. Start, yeah. <laughs> Napster. Wow. Boy, times have certainly changed, haven't they? Yeah. So I like so I'm 37. I was on just the age gap of having all that fun stuff and still being, you know, learning everything, coming yeah. into the technological side of things. Oh. So I, I got to experience kind of both worlds in that in that way. Hopefully you didn't ruin a computer because the problem with that stuff is usually it was laden with some viruses and you know, you get some good material and stuff that you couldn't find elsewhere but usually it ended up getting a virus when all was said and done so i i definitely ruined a couple of computers but i learned <laughs> very quickly how to rebuild them and fix them that's how i got into the tech side of things more man i wish i'd known you way back when i could have <laughs> saved myself a king's ransom oh yeah like i i kind of actually the system i'm on right now i i custom built myself so i can get it to where i need it to be Oh, dude, you got it going on. <laughs> you got it going on. I figure I have to be kind of a jack of all trades in a sense. Like I'm not, I'm not the guy who would typically be interviewing people, but I kind of transitioned into that with COVID a bit. And and don't get me wrong, it's it's been absolutely amazing. I I would have never in my life thought I would be able to get to talk to you about different stories that you've had through your career. Just mm -hmm. something, you know, something different like that. What is the old saying? Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. You're, you're living proof. Yeah. Is there any other, uh, 
you know, artist or anything that you've worked with that you have some, some really good stories about? Man, uh, I've worked with, over the years, I've been so blessed, you know, to work with so many good people and talented people. Uh, and to then segue into writing with some of them and collaborating with people, uh, which can be real intimidating initially. Um, but then you reach a point where it kind of becomes not just exciting, but you also understand that you got something to really offer, you know, something to bring to the table. Um, I found it was kind of interesting. One of the first things that comes to mind, I have the uh, still ongoing writing session with Marcy Levy. And most people have probably not heard of Marcy under her name, uh, but Marcy initially was uh, one of Eric Clapton's background singers early on. Okay. And she's also um, co-writer of the song Lay Down Sally. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Marcy and I are from the same town. We're from Oak Park, Michigan. And her younger sister, Alita, was one of my best friends from middle school up through high school. And I just thought it was so wonderful that we could find ourselves down the line. I'm still friends with both of them. And it was kind of wonderful. At one point, Clapton was in town. He stopped by the house and brought five or six pizzas with him, sat on the floor cross-legged, pulled out a guitar and just played for hours and invited me over to play. Mm, that's you awesome. know, having pizza and I'm like, what? You want, you want pizza? <laughs> And at that time, of course, I was terrified. I mean, that's that's Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was not. So <laughs> I declined to uh, participate other than a little shaker. You know, I played a little shaker. Mm -hmm. At this point, it would be more like, all right, Eric, that's wonderful. Can you can you go sit down now? I got something. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the times, the times they are changing. Well, then I could imagine to, you know, you might've felt like imposter syndrome at some point. I know a lot of, a lot of people seem to feel that coming up. Imposter syndrome? Where you don't necessarily feel you deserve to be in, in the, in that space, like oh. with some of these bigger people. Yeah. You know, when, in, in my teens, in my early teens and in my mid teens. Yeah. Um, one of the graces of God though, was that I initially, by the time I got to to college, uh, you know, I went to Michigan State, and I was very comfortable being a bar star, and playing loud, and barely in tune, and by the time I was segueing out of that, I didn't realize that people had so much more immense talent than I had at that given time, so <laughs> that's the closest thing to the imposter syndrome that I have. I just didn't realize I should be sitting down and learning um, yeah. more than trying to uh, participate. But the beautiful thing about that is you are able to, to be in the best music school that you can be in. You're right there looking at it firsthand. You're watching a person's technique and you're learning on the fly and it's right there and you don't have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. You're participating in it. And uh, I can really only think of one time that I was truly embarrassed. <laughs> We were uh, in New York City, 
and we did an Aretha performance. The show was over. I know a lot of people in New York. Uh, I'd done a lot of work at that time with Michael Kissel. Uh, he was over in the Brill Building. He was doing a lot of work with the Rolling Stones and he had a, a lot of other people he was working with. He invited me to an after hour party at like China Club or something like that. Okay, we go to the club and there's an after party for like the NBC news people. And I don't even know whose event it was, but there were a lot of notables there. Mm -hmm. They had a house band, but the house band was made up of TM Stevens. You know, uh, little Steven was a part of the group, uh, you know, so we're not talking about, you know, slouches here. Mm -hmm. And so somebody says, oh, Ted's here. Ted, Ted, come on up. Come on up. Right. So I, I go on up and I said, well, I don't have my gear. I'll get, don't worry. We got a guitar for you. Somebody thrusts a guitar out and hands it to me. And I said, okay, great. And I said, well, tuning would probably be an important thing at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I got my back to the audience I'm trying to very quickly learn the app that I just plugged into so I can kind of simulate my sound or get, you know, something that a reasonable facsimile of what I want to do. And the guitar is so far out of tune, ridiculously out of tune. And by the time I turn around to say, hold on, I hear two, two, three, and, and they just, <laughs> the song is going. I'm like, what song are we playing? I have no idea what we're doing at that moment other than I'm standing here with a guitar that's out of tune. The song that was chosen at that point was James Brown's uh, Sex Machine. Mm -hmm. Get up, get on up, yeah. right? So <laughs> everybody's in the groove but me. <laughs> I'm over here with my back going, going uh, basically doing this. while the song is playing. And so by the time I finally get to a decent tuning, I hear, thank you, good night. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You know, right at the moment when I turn around and I'm ready to fly. So you never I mean, know how it's gonna go. Hey, at least it's a fun story you can tell. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm not too embarrassed by it because I didn't do much other than try to tune. Mm -hmm. now now as a as a like prof professional guitarist and stuff i've never played i used to play the drums like in high school how do you get particular about your your guitars and your instruments particular in what way so you know you have to have a certain brand for instance or tuned a certain way or you know i i notice you know when i go to a live show there's switching guitars between different songs things like that yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if if one is afforded the luxury to do all of that fun stuff, and if you have a budget that will allow you to bring an arsenal of instruments out there. But again, I came from the the, the different end of the spectrum where I was, I was thankful when I had one guitar. Yeah. You know? And then I was even more thankful when I finally was able to get a pretty decent pedal board together where I could get a decent distortion out of it and a decent wah sound out of it and a decent, you know, verb out of it. I was glad to do that. So I knew that everything I'd need to do in an evening, I could either play dry or I could use the board 
and get everything done without being Rick Nielsen and throwing 30 guitars back and forth between me and a, a guitar tech. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered about that. Just the, you know, sometimes you see 30 guitars or sometimes you see, you know, someone can just sit in one guitar and be good to go for the whole night. Well, you know what? Um, one of the names that comes to mind, it's two names that come to mind. One of them would be Willie Nelson. How many guitars do you see him with? Uh, second one that comes to mind would be B.B. King. Before he passed away, he had Lucille. He's not worried about all the rest of that pomp and circumstance. He's worried about, let me go out here and do what I do best, you know, and let the guitar speak for itself. You know, um, if, if people have the luxury to have a string of guitars out there, and each one will certainly have its own personality, its own texture, and you know, if your set list calls for all that kind of thing, that's fantastic if you can, but I've never tried it. Okay. Probably. Yeah, see, I wouldn't have ever thought about any of that stuff. <laughs> I'm too busy playing music, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I'm much like you, too. Like, I'm a fan of, of a good song. So when you say things like, you know, B.B. King, all those, like, I, I love good music just like that, too. So, yeah, you know, and that's what it's really all about at the end of the day. Um, I mean, it's one thing if you're on stage and you have a string or two break. You know, you mm, want to yeah. back up, but that's not the same thing as going, all right, song number one calls for this guitar, and song number two calls for this guitar, and song three, I'm going to have to switch over to this. Uh, you know, that's that's a bit, uh, it's a bit more than, than I can handle. No, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think I'd be probably in your same boat, too, where that's just too much effort, really, when you can be doing your thing. You're right. You'd lose concentration on what you're really there to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So um, one of the notes I have here that one of my writers want to know is I want to talk about your extensive touring in like Germany, England and Sweden or Switzerland. That's what you. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that's really where my career is for all intent and purpose. Mm. Um, I do more than enough work there. I started working. Let's see. I went over to England and started performing. Before I met Andrew, this would have probably been early 90s. I went over and did a couple of solo acoustic performances. Um, and I always felt that UK was going to be, and it turned out to be true, more receptive to what I was doing as an artist than people were at that time in the States. Mm -hmm. to me um, I could barely raise car fare in the states I'd go over to England and people appreciated what you were doing they turned out to the shows they bought the CDs they would check the website once a week you know they were kind they were genuine they were there mm -hmm. uh, so I started working over there at that time and I also knew something that most people didn't give much thought to um a lot of great careers of people of color who are not playing traditional R&B, a lot of their careers were built over in England. Jimi Hendrix, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Um, goodness. Uh, the fellow that sings War. He's, he's, he passed away. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I can't call his name now. Used used to be a Motown artist. Um, mm-hmm. but he went over after his career at Motown. His name will come to me in a second. Edwin Starr. Um, after his career was done in the States, he went over there and had a career three times as large as what he had going on in the States. Um, Terrence Trent Darby. He was a boxer here in the States. He went over to, I'm sorry, his name is no longer Terrence Trent Darby. His name is Sananda Matea or something like that. Okay. So I stand corrected now. Um, the artist formerly known as Terrence Trent Darby. Mm-hmm. But it became, my point being, it became very apparent to me that because I wasn't doing traditional R&B, I really wasn't fitting in either world here. I wasn't an R&B artist, I wasn't a full rock artist. And it was real, you know, being a hybrid like that can can be problematic when you're just trying to make music. But Mm -hmm. I found that going to England, they were listening to what you were performing and what you were writing and what you had to say. They weren't as caught up in the politics of the skin game or any of the other things that we tend to default to here in the States, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like I've always noticed too, like Europe and all those countries, it's a totally different atmosphere and just scene in general. I prefer it. Honestly, they've always pulled out the red carpet. Um, my wife and I just got back from Germany I went over and did a television show, uh, a big TV production, uh, and I did one of the festivals. This is my eighth, I think my eighth or ninth performance at this particular festival. Um, Germany is always wonderful. Switzerland, you know, there's there's nothing that there's very few things that will ever match my performing. You know, I opened up for Seal uh, in in the Montreux Jazz Festival, so that's always hard to beat. Um, all the work that I've done over there has always been nothing but a dream, you know, just fantastic, you know. Um, and so when I'm always invited back, it's always a pleasure to go. The uh, The budgets are always healthy. The people are always kind. Um, I signed to a German record label. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about Europe. Of course, my camera just decides to cut out. Keep going. I'm my, I'll fix this in a second here. Okay. Yeah. Um, We were over for this performance, um, which will air on uh, German television, March the the 5th or 6th, I believe. I've got some mail here that deals with that. Um, I'm looking forward to going back as soon as COVID uh, will allow for my wife and I to travel again safely. Mm -hmm. We can't wait to go back. Yeah, and that's actually my next point was about your your signing with the German Skip Records. How did that all come about? Skip Records came about because I had done, just prior to Skip Records, I I'd put together a pretty amazing tour with a business that's no longer here. It's defunct, uh, Borders, Books, and Music, uh, which was kind of like Barnes & Noble. So it was a okay. national bookstore with a coffee section and you know they started performing uh, having artists perform and I was able to really pretty quickly um, parlay one show into 10 shows into 20 shows into 50 shows playing solo acoustically uh, and then I started learning what I was doing 
much better with each performance uh, as far as the business end of it. Plus I had my golf clubs with me. So I was, it, it started out, I'm out there to perform and it ended up, I'm going to golf and the show is something that just happens after I get done on the course, mm -hmm. what it became. Uh, but anyhow, because of the good business that I had put together with Borders, it gave me the confidence and the solid performance to then be available for other things and not have to worry about it as far as where would I play, how will I play, what set list do I have together, am I going to be able to sing as a solo acoustic artist, all these things that initially were kind of uncertain for me became very confident things that I could hang my hat on. Okay. And there was uh, an individual from Germany. Uh, he came down to Dallas, Texas. We were in, in ja Dallas, Texas doing the Aretha show. And he was a, a journalist. And after the show was over, I was gathering stuff from the stage. And he says, excuse me, I would very much like to speak with you and uh, have an interview with you as you are now the guitar player in the Aretha group. You are the successor to Cornell Dupree. I said, yes, you know, Cornell was the guitar player. He's a master, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I said, well, let me, let me wrap up the stuff on stage here. I'll be more than happy to talk with you. And I said, all right, before we do this interview, I said, let me ask you something. How quickly can you get me over to Germany so I can do some dates over there? <laughs> and he says, I think we can make this happen. I will uh, reach out to some of my colleagues and friends and we will see what we can do. And sure enough, um, we did the interview. Uh, he emailed me probably a month later. He had set up about five or six performances in Germany. And one of them was more of a showcase. Okay. I had enough wherewithal. I took about 50 or 60 indie CDs with me. Mm -hmm. And after each performance, sell, sell, sell. And autographs and just making yourself available. Yeah. When we got to the night of the showcase performance and a couple of record labels came down, there's nothing that looks more appealing to a label than to see a line of 70 or 80 people waiting to purchase your CD and have a photo with you and to talk with you while you do a quick signature mm -hmm. and meet and greet. So on the basis of how smooth that went, that's how I ended up signing with Skip Records. And okay. in the middle, in the middle of doing the signing, looking over and going, hey, how you guys doing over there? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I Oh, I, like, so I work with a lot of bands here locally. Like, so I'm based out of Canada and right in Ottawa okay. and, and I help, I work with one of the promotion companies here. We see bands all the time and it's interesting to see the people who, who have that wherewithal, like you said about, you know, the sign and CDs and the extra little bits of things to help yourself get forward. You have to do that stuff, you know, and it's enjoyable if you're doing it when you trial and error through it and you get it right, like anything else in life. It becomes a pleasure. It becomes mm -hmm. an enjoyable thing. It's not a rigor. And you look forward to it. And you can put your personality into it. And it's a it's a win-win situation for everybody involved. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone 
it gets a piece of something. So it works better that way. Yeah. You mentioned you're in Ottawa. Uh, I'm married uh, to a Canadian citizen. Okay. And uh, I haven't spent any time in Ottawa per se. I did do a lot of camping up at the Pinery, which is uh, Grand Bend. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm quite Canadian friendly. Okay. Well, that's good. We love to hear that. <laughs> My in-laws are all Canadians and I'm an honorary Canadian. Yeah. And we're glad to have you for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So my, my next topic I have is uh, I wanted to talk about the Think Radio project. How did that all come about? Think Radio, that's just been something. It was an idea that was in the back of my mind for the longest time. Um, I decided just uh, in the last year, I said, you know what? It's time to move forward with this idea of launching a station. And I, you know, my, my wife and I, we have a home in Michigan. We have a home in Florida. Being in Florida, I started feeling a little homesick for, you know, being around the Detroit music scene, being around some of my friends that were musicians, being around my family, etc. So the first batch of music that I uploaded and that I wanted to have available, it ended up being like some of the old classic R&B stuff, you know, mm -hmm. Shy Lights and Al Green and, you know, just I started delving back into my childhood and the music that I knew when I was just a youngster. So the first batch of music, it seemed to make sense to, to have this music because it was so true to who I was as a, as a kid. And it made me feel good. It's good comfort food or good comfort songs, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that first batch of music on Think Radio was, uh, a lot of like solid R&B and a lot of stuff that most folks are not familiar with also. You know, died in the wool R&B fans know these things, but there's a lot of listeners that love good music, but hadn't heard a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make it available. Right behind that, I started bringing on board things like Level 42. And then I started bringing on board some Beatles material. Again, it's an open format station. Mm -hmm. So basically the, the sum total of what I'm doing over there is here is a lot of the good music of my life. You know, okay. Nat King Cole is over there. Of course, James Brown is over there. Of course, Aretha is over there. Um, but also In Excess is over there. Mm -hmm. Seal is over there. Uh, Deep Purple is over there. The Guess Who are over there. You know, so it's not a one-sided affair. No, that's awesome. And, and like, I'm a fan of everyone you just named. So it's it's nice to have all that in one house kind of thing. There you go. Mm -hmm. Can't go wrong. If music were food, that's a good meal. Oh, very much so. <laughs> very much so. In fact, a lot of my, my friends and family are they think it's weird that I listen to such a eclectic and diverse amount of music, but when you just feel a song, it, it hits home a certain way and you, it just, it's extra. Well, you know, and you've broadened your horizons by being uh, more eclectic. I'm not saying anything against people that only have one genre or one band, but 
again, if I can use the analogy, if music were food, that would be almost like saying, I only eat spaghetti. Mm -hmm. I don't eat anything other than spaghetti. And you'd say, well, that's great. You know, when you get a good plate of spaghetti, but what about all the other wonderful foods out there that you're missing? Mm -hmm. So the same thing applies to music. You know, I only listen to rap. I only listen to punk. I only listen to soul. Well, that's great. But what about all the other stuff that you're not having an opportunity to enjoy in your life, in your spirit? You know, all the songs that, I mean, I can sit down and tell you about The Clash. I can sit down and tell you about Hendrix. I can sit down and tell you about uh, Lamont Dozier. You know, mm -hmm. it's all good stuff. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to try to listen to it. So Think Radio is kind of my way of saying, you know, it's like a, a digital tap on the shoulder for the world. Hey, come listen to this. Good nice. stuff over here, you know. Well, we'll definitely make sure to put the, the link when we post things so people can get a direct, direct spot to it. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Okay, my next topic I have here, actually kind of, it goes back a little bit. Performing at Nelson Mandela's Freedom Fest. Oh, yeah. how, how was that for you? Because there was a, a bunch of big names on that too. And that was early on. That is one of the landmarks of my life. There's I could live to be 200 and there will be very few things that will surpass that. Um, participating in that was unexpected. I got a last minute call to go over and uh, perform what they had done. Uh, rather than having a lot of bands for the following artists, uh, you had Natalie Cole, uh, Joe Cocker, Ashford and Simpson, uh, Mick Hucknell from Simply Red. Uh, who am I forgetting? Seems like there were one or two more. But what they ended up doing was just putting together a core band for these artists because they were on each artist was coming out and doing like two songs, okay. two or three songs, you know. So rather than having you know, 30 other people, you know, trying to, and more setup and more changeover between, mm -hmm. you got artists coming out and do two songs, hey, put one core band together and hell, we can learn, you know, 15 songs in a couple of days. We're good for that, you know. So um, I went over to uh, participate on that basis. And um, I said, yeah, to it because it was one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. I was definitely not prepared as a guitarist. I hadn't played any with anyone of that caliber enough times to really have it under my belt yet. But I also knew if I didn't participate, I'd kick myself for the rest of my life. And I'm very glad I'm blessed and I'm glad that I did take the opportunity to participate because I went over there and the impact of what you said yes to, it hits you the moment I got off that plane. I said, oh shit, what have I got myself into now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm way on the other side of the world and I'm gonna be playing guitar for Al Green? What was I thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking when I said yes? Um, get to the hotel, get a little rest. Next day was full rehearsal. Again, we got a lot of material to learn. 
and I realized, you know what, I can do this, you know, I'm, I'm okay with this stuff, you know, there's nothing that's going to happen guitar wise that I haven't done before. Um, the point that was a, 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 an intimidation for me was I played by ear and I've been playing in bar bands and there wasn't a lot of tablature and a lot of things written down. You just know the songs and you know how to deal with, you know, okay. a stage. But now you're talking about standing out here on the stage with an orchestra behind you and conductor saying, okay, on bar 18, I need things to be tacit or whatever, you know, and I'm sitting going, mm -hmm. I'm not even reading this stuff. So where does bar 18 fall in the song? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, but again, I'm a quick study and I was able to uh, put together some mental notes. So I knew exactly where things had to happen, where key changes were, where modulations were, where, you know, retards were, you know, if you had to retard a tune or whatever you had to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to keep it all together and getting through the rehearsals was not a difficult thing. It wasn't as difficult as I thought. Now comes the day of the performance the following day or the day after that. And you walk out uh, to the side of that stage and you're at Wembley Stadium. And Wembley Stadium holds, I believe it's 500,000 people or more. I can't remember the exact mm -hmm. number now. Yeah, a big number anyways. <laughs> You've got, okay, Wembley is jam-packed. You have global radio. You have MTV and global television. So it's not just, I mean, the audience at Wembley was enough. But now you're talking about radio coverage around the globe, television <laughs> coverage around the globe. And again, I said to myself, what have I got myself into? This is, this is uh, overwhelming. But I had enough wherewithal. Very quietly, I went over into a little corner. I said a little prayer. And I just spoke to myself after my prayer. And I said, look, if you can get through this, you can get through anything for the rest of your life. There's nothing musically that you won't be able to handle. If you can go out there and deal with the next half an hour, 45 minutes, the rest of it's a piece of cake. And mm. I just said that to myself and I stopped being nervous. I went out, I had a ball. Nice. I had a ball. Yeah, it worked out just fine. Yes, uh, I, I, I obviously would have loved to have like seen that live. That would have been something on its own, but I was only four years old at the time. And <laughs> well, you should mention it. Uh, the person in Germany who handles my, uh, my business over there, mm -hmm. he sent me all the YouTube links to all those performances that I was in. So when we wrap up our interview, I'm going to put your name on my newsletter. Okay. And that's my next newsletter. It's going out is from the vault. The stuff nice. from the Nelson Mandela. Uh, that first Mandela Fest. And, you know, I also played the Mandela Fest here in the States as well. Okay. Uh, so I, I was fortunate to be a uh, part of both of those. And I had an opportunity to meet Mr. Mandela and to hear him speak at Tiger Stadium in Detroit as well. That would have been something pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Again, this is stuff you tell your grandkids about, you know, and you just, you realize for whatever hardships and drudgeries that you have, you know, in life, when you are fortunate and blessed enough to experience that, it makes up for, 
for all the butt kickings you get down the road. Mm -hmm. And life is about stories. You tell stories to people. That's how everything mm -hmm. gets passed down. So hearing stories like this from you is amazing to me. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I started understanding the power of story and song not all that long ago, but I realized that, you know, some of the best entertainment is when somebody can tell you a story about how a song was written or how a song affected them. And to have that interaction where you're talking and then performing is pretty powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first times that I saw that done was, um, I was in Los Angeles uh, and this is probably I guess 12 years ago, 12 years ago or more. And a good friend of mine says, hey, for dinner, I got this really cool thing. We're going to go. There's a small restaurant with a little stage. And uh, what is his name? Um, the singer from, uh, uh, oh, God, what is his name? Uh, the group was what? Um, not Men Without Hats. Uh, minute work. Okay, minute work. Yeah. I can't think of his name right now, the singer. Um, it'll come to me again, as most things do as I'm in the middle of conversation. But anyhow, um, he has a, uh, a solo performance, he and his wife, and that's the whole band. He comes out, he tells the story of the rise of minute work. He talks about that for a while and he plays a song or two. You know, and then he talks about how things were after the Grammys, and then he plays a song or two, and then he talks about minute work once it was done and how that affected it. You know, and I really started to understand, and, and, and you're sitting no more than 10 or 15 feet from him. Mm -hmm. And it was really powerful stuff. At that point, I started to realize, you know, talk a little, sing a little. It's a good combination definitely adds adds that extra something for sure <laughs> i recall uh one of my favorite stories from that thing that he did um there was a song a men at work song called uh oh goodness hang on the name of that thing will come to me also the, i can't get to sleep Thinking about the implications. That song, Overkill, is the name of it. Yeah. What now? The story that he told is he talks about being in Australia and performing that tune in the outback, and the band hadn't hit in the states yet, and they had not become the wonders of MTV that they ultimately became. But he was saying how humbling it was. Now the lyric of the chorus says ghosts appear and fade away right mm -hmm. that's pretty poignant and cool ghosts appear and fade away so meanwhile he's telling the story about how humbling it was he says we're out in this little bar in the outback and some drunk guy says hey you're gonna play the song about the goats <laughs> <laughs> Goats appear and fade away, my friend. Goats appear and fade away. <laughs> that always happens with music, too. Someone misses a lyric and it changes the song completely. 
Well, you know, there's a couple of books on it. There's a guy, Gavin Edwards, uh, who wrote a, a couple of books on misheard lyrics. You know, it's funny stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, again, that's the humorous side of music, you know. For sure. Um, and I try to find some humor in it because sometimes it can get too deep and too heavy. You know, you got to find a balance in there. Yeah. Looking at music today, do you, how do you see the, the music scene looking today? Like, what's your opinion of it? It has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly it's not like Peter Frampton out there doing a thing anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's changed some in some ways for the better. And in other ways, it's almost unrecognizable. Um, one of the things that is good is you are really hearing more artists that you would not have heard a decade ago. Mm -hmm. The advent of the internet and with the advent of the way that music is created now, uh, it's a different game. So in that way, it's good. One of the things that concerns me is music is like literature. I couldn't imagine saying I wanted to write a book or I wanted to be a journalist and not knowing all the great works that were written prior to my participation. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a writer, you're going to know about Keating. You're going to know about you know, all the great authors that wrote saw, or wrote uh, books before you got there, right? Yeah. Um, music doesn't do that, however. Music sort of says, well, uh, we're not going to pay attention that much to what our uh, earlier generation did. We're just going to, we're just going to wing this one. We're going to play it by ear. Mm -hmm. And I think that in some ways music suffers because of that. 100%, 100%. You know, you're, you're missing a lot of integral quality that came before you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I was an architect, I'd be like uh, trying to be an architect today and going, Frank Lloyd who? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do you not, you know, so you, you have to understand what took place before you got there, mm -hmm. you know, and music kind of, uh, ignores that um so you know is, is music better or not i think that it's very relative it's definitely different that's for sure it's different and it's relative because if if people are creating music today and if that music is moving then there's not a problem because it's mm -hmm. one of the prime functions of music is to touch your heart touch your soul and find a special place in you. So if if the music that's being made today does that, far be it for me or you or anyone else to uh, to say different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's relative. It's relative. Yeah, like just before uh, we got on on this interview here, I was talking to one of my one of my partners and said, "Hey, I'm you know interviewing Teddy Richards," and he said, "Who's that?" I said, it's Aretha Franklin's son. He goes, "Would you kill me if I didn't know who Aretha was?" And I, and I went, you, what? <laughs> to me, that was that was shocking. I was like, wow, okay. And and he's a promoter too. Like he deals with bands a lot. Like he's really in the music scene. And I went, like, wow. As show you, how do you get that far in your career and not know Aretha? You know? Mm -hmm. That's I mean, of, uh, yeah, 
Well, you know, I tell you what, what you want to do for your, your, your colleague is you want to play Dr. Feel Good for him. Mm. And you want to play, of course, respect for him. Um, and you want to play I Dreamed a Dream for him. Yeah. And he'll know who Aretha is then. You know, oh, he, I guarantee he, you he will, yeah. He played five, you know, four or five good ones. You know, she's impossible to forget. Mm-hmm. She's impossible to forget. But yeah, you know, and that's the other thing. Um, as I've lived my life, you know, it's uh, it's unavoidable, of course, who your mother is. But more importantly to me, having had an opportunity to live enough life and have my own accomplishments, that kind of balances the scales a lot. Yeah. You know, if I were unable to participate in life and if I had some sort of a, 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 if I were crippled or if I were unable to, to go out and, you know, embrace life, then you might want to go, oh, you know, I'm Aretha's son and hey, this is, you know, but when you are able to, to get out there and embrace it and live it and, and participate and laugh and cry and grow and put together a career and teach yourself to play guitar and learn how to get out there on the stage and work with the best of them and have your accomplishments and get through all these things with all 10 fingers and all 10 toes and half your, your faculty still with you, you know, then you don't mind that some people are going to try and pigeonhole you as somebody's mm-hmm. son because, because you know different you know that there's so much more yeah you know, for sure so much more rather than i know a lot of children of famous uh people and their whole life is don't you know who my mom is or don't you know who my dad is mm-hmm. and my answer to that is yeah well that's who they are but who are you yeah you know who are you um so you know it's I guess it's all in how you choose to live your life. It's all in how you would like to, uh, where your sense of dignity comes from. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. My sense of dignity comes from, you know, I've always been a startup guy. I've always been a DIY person. Um, I've always had a hard work ethic. I've always had a great love for music. Um, hell, it also takes a lot of, a lot of nerve to not even know how to tune or play a guitar and, eventually end up being a, a pretty decent writer and pretty decent producer mm-hmm. and a great audiophile and a great lover of music. You know, that's, I would have never in a million years dreamt that I would be sitting, talking with somebody like you or performing in front of, you know, Obama, you know, who would think that this could happen for somebody that doesn't even know how to spell guitar, let alone play one. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so you know, um, the Lord has certainly blessed me in a lot of ways over the years, you know. And it's always amazing, like, you put your mind to something, what you can actually accomplish. Exactly. You know, you stay focused on it. You trial and error through it. And before you know it, you look up and go, wow, the training wheels are gone. I'm doing this by myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. I'm, flying, I'm flying this airplane. <laughs> yeah and that's that's where the good stuff is for me anyway you know Mm -hmm. that's where the good stuff is good food um being around good people that enjoy music 
and having people, you know, turn me on to bands and things that I didn't know about, and sharing music and food and stories. Um, of course, I have to add my golf in there. I'm also an avid camper, you know, so those are the things that give you a well-rounded life and it makes being a part of music all that much more special, you know. And you're just out there enjoying life. You're 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 living. You're having yeah. fun doing everything. Yeah, you got you know you you really you know you got your teeth in it. You know. You <laughs> yeah. What well, one of the questions I had I had for you, which uh, with all the, well, my my writers are younger. They're in their twenties, so they don't. They're all social media. That's all I do. How mm-hmm. how has the transition in your career, like how have you taken to the social media aspect of things now? I'm decently proficient at it. Um, I was able to get on board when CD Baby came into being. You know, I don't know if you remember CD Baby or not, but yeah, I was a CD Baby baby. I was one of the first artists that you know I realized, wow, this gives me a platform uh, that I can I can grow and I can do stuff here that I wasn't able to do without a record deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the old CD baby, one of the things that I thought was also really uh, pretty cool at, at the time, um, you could buy a UPC code from that. Okay. You know, and, and I needed that desperately. Again, I was embarking on the Borders Books and Music thing, and I was able to uh, buy my first UPC from them. Uh, I was able to have my first, quote, website over on the CB, CD baby site. I was able to do uh, digital downloading from there. I was able to have people go there and they could buy the CD, ship them out to them. You know, I put together a wonderful little indie business because I was able to get on board early, early on. Um, I was terrified of the computer, but again, just like we were talking about a few minutes ago, I trial and error through the computer until I understood how to do it and not lose documents and not accidentally do you know some of the pratfalls that you do when you're just learning how to operate a a computer um i got more than proficient you know once i started working as a producer and working with pro tools and logic pro and all the other platforms um i was able to watch my business partner uh urban chris uh, who's also Canadian, by the way. Um, some of your listeners and the people that you're working with would probably recognize Urban Chris because he uh, he engineered the first two or three Eminem records. Yeah, I know the name. Yeah. So, and that's my that's my Chris is my boy. That's my boy. Yeah. Um, and I would just sit in this session, and you find a lot of artists will go, "Hey, Chris, well that's your thing. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette, or I'm going to go have lunch." I was like, what happens when you push that button? Mm. You know, yeah. I was like, wait, do that again. Now what happens? Now let me hear it without that. You know, so I was constantly learning from Chris how to use media and how to use the technology at hand. Um, from there, of course, stepping into things like uh, Reverb Nation. That was a cakewalk. Um, setting up TeddyRichards.com. That was a cakewalk. Maintaining that stuff, of course, takes a lot more energy, mm-hmm. but understanding it and also working with, I know you know the term, WYSIWYG stuff. Yep. 
you know, yeah. it was wonderful for me. I was like, great. I don't have to understand code and all the rest of it. You know, WYSIWYG was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that aspect, I'm very comfortable with it, um, even to the point. Now, it's mostly now dealing with analytics, and it's mostly now sending good material over to the radio station and doing some good voiceover work with some talented people from Harry Hairston just came in and did some stuff here. Harry's Uh, he's down here in Florida now. Also, uh, we had him do a thing. Um, I've got a series that I'm also going to, um, release starts in January here called, um, all the Queens men. Okay. uh, Where I interview all of the, band members from the Aretha Franklin group. Oh, yes. We talk about the good old days. Mm-hmm. Um, again, for me now, you know, I love, you know, just being immersed in the technology. Um, and I also run the business from home. Uh, and that includes all the QuickBooks. And that includes my wife's business. That includes, uh, you know, everything that a person has to do in their, their life that might not involve artistry but your regular run-a-day life mm-hmm. um so the thing now is to try and get me away from technology <laughs> and more i need more rv time yes. and i promised my wife i would not bring a lot of gear onto the rig and i wouldn't make the rig four wheels and here's another mobile office and another studio mm-hmm you know, the idea is to get some fishing, get some golf in, you know, and get some more nature and less telephone, less technology on the on the rig. You know, the rest of it will wait until we get home. I've been trying to do that myself, uh, like doing the whole business side of things. I have to keep this stuff afloat, too. So I totally understand that. My wife looks at me sometimes and says, get off your phone, would you? Yep. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> I feel your pain, (laughs) but you know, on the other end of it, it's wonderful because you are the master of your own fate Mm -hmm. and you're, you're doing the things that five years ago, 10 years ago, you'd have to pay somebody else to do that. Yeah. You know, and believe me, they're not going to be kind with their bill. Oh, I've had a few of those bills. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're in business for themselves and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I, I trial and error through that, like yourself, you know, there are many times I'm like, wow, I could have done that and saved myself 500 bucks or mm-hmm. hell, all it was was knowing how to do that little thing there. I could have done that, you know, and that's, you know, part of why I started kind of really putting a lot of time and attention on technology. And, on, uh, you know, one of the things I do need to do that is already kind of in place, but, you know, when you think about Twitter and, um, you know, some of the newer platforms, um, and they come so quickly now, you know, technology, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't really, st- it doesn't stick around like it used to. Yep. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, I need to utilize those more. I utilized both of those decently when, and I hope I'm not getting myself in trouble by saying it, but, you know, um, I did some work for Biden. I put together a wonderful uh campaign for him. I did a lot of music for his campaign and a lot of production in the background. Okay. Uh, I utilized uh, Twitter and I utilized 
Instagram, as well as my website, and of course my news blasts and things. Um, I was probably firing on all six cylinders at that point, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I need to spend more time trying to not let technology pass me by because you walk away from it for four or five months, you come back, and the thing that you were doing is already being replaced a little bit and becoming a bit more obsolete. And there's some faster, quicker, more powerful processing thing that's right behind it. And mm -hmm. it doesn't and it doesn't work the way your thing does. You know, it never does. Never does. <laughs> there's always a learning curve. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that used to be fun when I was younger, but now I'm like, for God's sakes, can't we just leave technology alone <laughs> for a moment? I'm just getting a handle on it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can almost mirror some of those sentiments. Uh, like I have three computers on my desk right now for different things. Yeah. Just because there's too many three. things going on. Oh yeah, I've got three on my desk right now. Wow. <laughs> and like you can kind of see behind me, my my workstation here where I do like I prep a lot of my gear is an absolute nightmare. And okay, I, I have some of my. Uh, I just released a clothing line too with hidden beats. So I'm making some of that stuff sorted out. And I have a, over here, I've got like a design table and everything for drawing and that. Man, yeah, you no, you are the Renaissance man. You are the Renaissance man. <laughs> I need to keep, I need to do something with myself instead of just sitting around. So I figured why not? You know what? You know, it's, it's, it's time well spent. Mm -hmm. It's time well spent. Well, I don't have too much more for you, but one of the main questions I do like to ask anyone I interview is, have you been given some sage advice that might've stuck with you throughout the years? Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, one of the things that will always come to mind, uh, my dad, uh, who was not only my dad, but he was my best friend and he was my mentor. Um, he had the best advice of all, and, and it started with the idea and him instilling in me to be my own man. And again, not ride the coattails of your mother and not take any accolade that's not deserved, but to handle yourself and handle your business and make it your business and work hard at that and maintain that. And one of his, uh, one of his early um, quotes. My dad always had wonderful quotes. One that's always stuck with me through the years was, if you're looking for a helping hand, the best place to start is by looking at the end of your wrist. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I've lived up to that, you know, I've lived up to that. And, um, you know, that's probably the best sage-like advice that's, that's been given to me that. And, uh, Another one that sticks with me, um, you have two ears and one mouth. So do twice as much listening and half as much talking. Mm -hmm. and I said, wow, that's deep. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> is, is there any advice that you would give now after all your experiences to, to say new artists coming up and things like that? I would say enjoy every moment of it never be intimidated by it and listen and learn, you know, watch what others are doing. You know, the people that are uh, more accomplished, learn from them 
and watch what they're doing and listen to what they're doing. And you'll find that no matter what stage you're at in, in your career or in your music making, it's really, it's the, the most exciting time of your life. You know, mm -hmm. it's the most exciting time of your life. And you should enjoy, a person should always enjoy every, every bite. Nice. That's definitely good advice. <laughs> so I'm hoping I can get you to, you know, play us out, give us a little taste of just what you can do before we sign off for today. Wow. Let's see here. I didn't prepare anything, but let's see what comes to mind. Uh... Let's see, unrehearsed, I can play a little piece of something here. Okay. you man thank you tom well so we will end our interview here and uh i will definitely make sure to i'm going to add the links for your website teddyrichards.com we're going to have the think radio website on there so that the people can make sure to to get a little taste of everything everything that you love and get a little bit extra a little extra teddy in their lives well, that's a very kind gesture of you, man, you know, and thank you for, uh, for taking some time to talk and share some music and I get to learn a bit about you as well. It was absolutely my pleasure. I loved hearing every one of the stories there. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, I'm sure, just about all the different <laughs> things. <laughs> well, we'll have a chance. We'll cross paths again, I'm sure. 